This morning we are going to continue our neighbor series, our How to Neighbor series. But we're going to take a look at a different neighborhood than the ones that each of us live in. Some of us don't live within a five-mile radius of St. Paul. Today we're going to look at our neighborhood here around St. Paul, and we're going to take a peek at the kind of people who need to be served. The title of the sermon, you might notice, says, Our Neighbors in Poverty. And right off the bat, that brings to mind people who are economically poor, who may not have food on the table or a roof over their head, people who have trouble making ends meet. But when we talk about poverty today, we're going to be talking about a little bit more expansive uh, definition of poverty to include people who suffer from poverty other than economic poverty. But before we um, get to that, let, let's pray. Merciful God, we ask this morning that you give us eyes to see and ears to hear, that we might recognize those in our community who live in poverty. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing to you, O God, our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, the words from Isaiah that our Boy Scout just read to you are part of a book in the Old Testament, the book of Isaiah. They are the words um, of someone who's known as the servant who God calls to um, explain to Israel, which has been divided and conquered, uh, what will be happening in the future as this servant will come to serve the poor and the oppressed. But the words might be familiar to you as well from the New Testament, because in truth, our Lord Jesus Christ when he came out of the wilderness after his baptism and his temptation, he spoke those very words in the synagogue in his hometown of Nazareth. And I'd like to share that text with you today. It is Luke chapter 4, verses 16 through 18. When he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind to let the oppressed go free. You know, there's times when um, we get into a sermon series and you start to hear lots of information that may start to feel repetitive. I've heard a few little rumblings saying, okay, there's lots of people who need to be served, and they're not all poor people. And I understand um, where we're coming from, but that's only true if we define poor one and only one way, and that would be the economic way. In addition, I would say to those who might start feeling like we're getting a little too repetitive, that the reason we talk about the poor and the impoverished people is because Jesus talked about the poor and impoverished people. And when we go back and we read the prophets, and we read the law that was laid down to Moses, God demonstrated his concern for the poor and the downtrodden and the widow and the orphan. And so those things that we read in the Bible are also those things that we need to speak about from the pulpit in a church. 
There is a reason that we speak about the poor. But today, what I'd like to do is to first draw a couple comparisons for you between the scripture in Isaiah and the scripture I just read from Luke. Many of the same words, they address that someone had come, in the New Testament, of course, it was Jesus had come to serve the poor, the blind, the oppressed, and the prisoner. Both who had come to serve, the servant in Isaiah's time and Jesus of Nazareth in the New Testament times, had been empowered by the Holy Spirit. Both had been anointed to serve. And so are we. By virtue of our baptism, we are empowered by the Holy Spirit to be part of the ministry of all believers. We too are called to serve. And we are called to serve the poor, the oppressed, the blind, and the prisoner. Where we make our error sometime is to assume that poverty is limited to those who suffer from economic poverty who have no home, who can't pay the bills, who are homeless, who have trouble putting food on their table. But there's more than that kind of poverty, and we learn that even from the Gospels. If we look at Matthew's Gospel, we see that in the Beatitudes, Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit. But if we go to Luke's Gospel, to the sermon Jesus spoke there, it says, blessed are the poor. Matthew was writing primarily to a Jewish audience. He was writing to people who were impoverished in spirit. They were waiting for the Messiah to come. They didn't understand that the Messiah had come. So his focus was on those who are poor in spirit. While Luke, who was a Gentile physician who literally served the poor, as a doctor, was concerned about the people who were enslaved and who were economically poor. I would suggest to you today that Jesus wants us to serve both kinds of poverty. But there's more than that. Yes, there's economic poverty in our community, we know that. Homeless people, people who don't have enough to eat, seniors who struggle to make ends meet on fixed social security income, whose costs of living keep going up and Social Security doesn't keep up with it. They choose between medicine and food. We've all heard those stories. But there are also people in our community who are lost, who know that somehow they've gotten far away from God. They are estranged from Him. They are poor in spirit, and they too need our help. But there's other kinds of poverty as well. There's poverty of relationships. You know, a person who might pray every day. A person who might have a roof over their head and enough money to buy food and to pay their bills. A person who fits both of those categories can be very lonely. Here in our community, in Pinellas County, I am aware there are thousands of seniors, for example, who move here from other states to retire in the Sunshine State, and then one spouse outlives the other, and suddenly you have someone living here in our community who doesn't have family here. And as they age, sometimes they outlive their friends. There are people who are living in adult living facilities, assisted living facilities, who can afford to live in those places. They're very nice. 
And yet they don't have close companions and they don't have friends. They have an impoverishment of relationship. We can have the child in school who sits alone at the lunch table who's bullied, the teenager who feels isolated and alone, the young adult who moves to a community for their first job after graduating high school or college and doesn't know anybody. We have people who have an impoverishment of companionship and friendship. And the church can provide that companionship and friendship to those people. We have a poverty of education in some places. We have children who simply haven't gotten off to a good start to be prepared for kindergarten. Maybe they were unable to go to pre-K, uh, pre voluntary pre-K. Maybe they come from a home where the parents don't speak English, so they're going to school without having learned some of the basics of English language. Maybe they didn't have parents at home. Maybe nobody read to them. Not every child has a bedtime story read to them at night. We have adults who suffer from illiteracy. It keeps them from getting better jobs. It keeps them from being able to improve their situation, um, their situation economically. So there's education impoverishment, and it exists right here in our community. So much is being done now to try to um, have more early learning education. The United Methodist Church has always been about education. We were the denomination that began some of the great universities here in our country. We were the denomination that argued for free public schools and pushed for, for uh, free public high school education. We've always been about education, and we can do more to help people who are suffer suffering with economic, or I'm sorry, educational impoverishment. And then there are those who, through no fault of their own, have a different kind of poverty. It's a poverty of good health. A few weeks ago, we had a Valentine's dinner here to raise money for the families of children who suffer with pre pediatric cancer. Families who deal with giant medical expenses need help. People who are suffering with debilitating illnesses, they need encouragement, they need friendship, a Bible study, a Bible verse. There are so many kinds of poverty in our community that there's no reason for any one of us to say, well, you know, I'm tired of hearing about poor people because you know there's more people who have needs. What I would suggest to you that everybody who has some kind of need, which probably includes everyone in this room, at some time or other has suffered from one of the kinds of poverty I've described, whether it's loneliness and lack of friendship, whether it's lack of financial resources, whether it's being spiritually lost, whether it's being behind educationally, no matter what it is, there are thousands of people, the 20,000 people we keep talking about that we need to reach, suffer from more kinds of poverty than we normally recognize. And so today what I'd like to share with you is some ideas that have been bubbling out of our focus groups about how we can reach into our community to alleviate all kinds of poverty and to reach 20,000 people so that they will know Jesus Christ. And these are not all the things that have come up in the discussion groups, but these are some of them. And I want you to think about them, because today's homework is going to involve making some choices of how and where you will serve. 
First, we already have school partnerships with a school partnership with Ponce de Leon Elementary School. But actually, if we really want to stay with a child who starts behind or is economically disadvantaged, it would be great for us to have school partnerships at the elementary school level, the middle school level, and the high school level, where a mentor can grow with a child through some of those difficult transitions. We need mentors, tutors, and classroom aides. At Clearwater High School, we could use an adult who simply wants to keep their clothing closet organized. We could have a ministry that involves an after-school program for middle schoolers. This has been tried in another county, and it worked very well. Middle schoolers who, whose families were economically behind and whose children were not keeping up at school, who needed to catch up, were bused to a church after school, one or two days a week, where high school students were given a chance to be in ministry by serving as tutors for those younger middle schoolers. The high schoolers came from the church and from the AP programs in a couple of local high schools. Those children who came, those middle schoolers who came to the church were fed a meal. They had a chance to be coached in some recreation opportunities. They had a chance to learn about life skills and making good choices. And now I want to talk to you about a ministry that I first learned about at Eastlake. It's a woodworking ministry. In that ministry, people who were skilled in woodworking and painting and crafts made toys. Lots of toys. Last year, 20,000 toys. These toys are given by the ministry to the first responders in the community, the sheriffs, deputies, policemen, and firemen. And when those first responders encounter a small child that's in a crisis situation, whether it's from domestic violence, a fire in their home, being removed from a parent, seeing some violent act, being involved in a car accident, whatever, those first responders, the scariness of that big guy in uniform or that woman in uniform goes away as they present the child with a toy, and on the bottom of the toy there's a tag that says where it came from, from the toy-making ministry at a church. Now imagine, roll back with the things I was talking about a few minutes ago, imagine if we had a woodworking ministry like that working here, and we do have a beautiful wood shop with great tools in it, if our adults who began that ministry and started making those toys and painting those toys were to take under their wings some of those middle schoolers I just talked about and have those middle schoolers learn those skills and those crafts and have those middle schoolers learn that they could be part of doing a service for others. Imagine further, if you will, that this congregation was mixed in here on a Sunday morning with first responders and some of those middle schoolers as we had this altar area filled with toys that we prayed a blessing over. Would the community recognize on that day that St. Paul is part of reaching out in love to the entire Largo-Clearwater area? I would suggest to you the answer is yes. But it doesn't end there. We can't stop with children. We need to help parents. Some of the parents of these kids we're talking about are behind the curve when it comes to literacy. For some of them, English is a second language. Some of them have jobs that pay minimum wage. And in order for them to move to the next level, maybe we could have a ministry that would help them write a resume, practice interviewing for a job, 
sharing secrets about good interview skills and how to dress for success. Maybe we could help them polish up their literacy skills by doing an adult Bible study that used a slightly lesser reading level for the Bible. I mean, the folks we're talking about need help in so many ways, and it encompasses the whole family. And no, we're not going to leave out the grandparents. Sometimes the grandparents of families live in a different place from their children and grandchildren. Within a few miles of this church, there are lots of nursing homes, adult living facilities, independent living facilities, assisted living facilities, rehab centers, places where people who are accustomed to going to church are simply unable to get up and leave and come to church anymore. So, wouldn't it be cool if church came to them? This gives us an opportunity to minister to people of all ages and for that ministry of people of all, to people of all ages to be done by people of all ages. Young people can be tutors. Young people can be toy makers. Middle-aged people and older people can be coaches and mentors and teachers and woodworkers. There's room for all of us to be involved. There's lots of focus on children in what I've spoken about this morning. Part of that's because I just finished reading this book. It's called Our Kids, The American Dream in Crisis. It's not written by a church person. It's written by a sociologist. It's a study of how gaps have been created in our society between the children of families that have a reasonable amount of wealth and poor kids. But it begins back right after World War II, into the 50s and 60s and even into the 70s. It begins by describing cases where children who came from vastly different economic backgrounds had an equal opportunity to advance and surpass the education attainment of their parents, to become citizens who had better jobs and who were able to raise their own families. In my own family, my father and mother were both high school graduates. My father was a truck driver who became a foreman of a warehouse. My sister and I both have master's degrees. That just doesn't happen as often today. Because in those days, while there was a gap in wealth from child to child, there wasn't so much a gap in opportunity because as communities, rich kids and poor kids kind of lived closer to each other. You didn't have to pay to play and do the extracurricular activities at your school. Very often you went to a school near home where you could safely walk to and from school if you participated in extracurriculars. Parents didn't both work in those days, and I realize it's not Ozzie and Harriet anymore. I get that. And for those of you who are too young, Ozzie and Harriet is a store about the way, the good old days, what family life used to be like. The point is, what's happened over the last 50 years is, kids have gone from being our kids, where the whole community raises up a child and mentors a child and coaches a child and helps a child get that college scholarship. Kids have gone from being our kids to being their kids. But the bright and shining paragraph in this book, and I'm going to read it to you, there was one exception, there was one place where the difference in wealth 
didn't make much of a difference in how kids were received. Church-going kids have better relations with their parents and other adults, have more friendships with high-performing peers, are more involved in sports and other extracurricular activities, are less prone to substance abuse, drugs, alcohol, and smoking, risky behavior like not wearing seatbelts, and delinquency, shoplifting, misbehaving in school, and being suspended or expelled. As with mentoring, religious involvement, when it happens, makes a bigger difference in the lives of poor kids than rich kids, in part because affluent youth are more exposed to other positive influences. Religious engagement has traditionally been less class-biased than virtually any other sort of community or extracurricular activities. Now, if you are a kid here today and you attend church regularly, I did not just say that you were a saint. Don't misunderstand me. The point is, when a child is part of a church, they are raised by a community. That's why we make such a fuss during the baptism sacrament of talking about, do you raise this child up? I'm not saying church kids are perfect. Don't mishear me. But what I am saying is that we can close the gap between rich kids and poor kids if we bring children into our church and this can be a place where they can do all the things that I've described to you, which simply is no longer, simply things that aren't available to them like we had when we were growing up. So your homework. There's an insert in the bulletin. It includes different jobs that we can take on as ministers. And there's more than the things I've listed today. Unless you wanted to have a sermon that would last three hours, I couldn't begin to share with you everything that's come up in the focus groups. But what I'm asking you to do today is take that sheet of paper, take it home and pray about it. Pray about it. Ask God to help you discern where God is calling you to make a long-term commitment, not a one-shot thing, not a one-Saturday-morning thing, a long-term commitment to a ministry that will help someone who is suffering from some kind of impoverishment. And I've described several kinds. If the thing that lights your fire isn't on that list, then turn the page over and let us know what kind of ministry you'd like to be involved in. But understand this. We're not looking to create one-person ministries. We want groups of people ministering in teams. And we are not looking for you to give us ideas for things for your pastors or your staff to do. This is about us being in ministry, laity-led ministries. I want you to pray about it. I want you to discard your reservations. Forget those sentences that say, I can't because. I want you to commit long-term and to bring that piece of paper back next week, and we will start to put people together in groups who have similar interests. What will happen if we do this? Well, the readings from Isaiah told us what would happen. We will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. That sounds a lot like glorifying God through our ministry. We will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated. We will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. Some of our cities, parts of our cities, parts of our neighborhoods are ruined by different kinds of poverty. We can rebuild them. We will be called priests of the Lord. 
we will be named ministers of our God. And instead of disgrace, we will rejoice in our inheritance and everlasting joy will be ours. These verses teach us that if we love and serve our neighbors, we will be fruitful ministers and that's what we're called to be. We will become the people who God called us to be and the church God calls us to be. Friends, I'm not asking for a nod here. I'm not asking for a mental yes. I'm not asking for you to agree that what I've said is true or for you to say, hey, good sermon, Pastor Pam. I am asking for you to go home and pray about this, and I'm serious, and to come back next week with a plan to become a committed member of a long-term ministry. That is the way we will reach 20,000 people for Jesus Christ. That is the way we'll, we will alleviate all kinds of poverty in our community. This homework assignment, you know, we've been doing eh, our homework assignments. I know some of you did better on homework assignments back when you were in school than we've been doing with the ones we've had with the series so far. And I know it's hard to walk up to your neighbor and who you haven't talked to in a while and say, how can I pray for you? We worry how they might respond to us. Well, they think we're kind of nerdy or something. But friends, if we're going to share the love of Jesus Christ, then we have to share the love of Jesus Christ. This homework assignment, it's not from me. It's not from Pastor Bob. It's not from your lay leadership. This homework assignment came from a carpenter in Nazareth more than 2,000 years ago. This homework assignment was given to us by the greatest teacher the world has ever known. This is a heavenly homework assignment. And it's time for us to get to work. I look forward to your response next week.